Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. Before I introduce our guest, I want to tell you about our upcoming conference in partnership with the Fem Technology Summit. The Fem Technology Summit is taking place on June 1st and 2nd, and it's a very special event because it's a hybrid event. That means virtual and in person. The speakers are all virtual, and Femtech Focus is hosting a North American watch party in Raleigh, North Carolina, part of RTP, Research Triangle Park. Check it out. Give it a Google. You'll learn a lot about where I currently live and all of the awesome things that are going on in this area. Now, let me break this down for you how this works. If you'd like to watch and listen to these rock star femtech speakers that Fem Technology Summit organized, you can watch them technically from anywhere in the world for free. You can register for that at femtechnology.org. But if you'd like to watch these speakers with 200 plus other femtech founders, investors, enthusiasts in person in Raleigh, North Carolina, paired with additional panels, networking, dinners, activities, then you need to go to femtechfocus.org and buy a watch party ticket. Tickets are only $45 or $20 if you're a student. I'm very big on being accessible to everyone. This ticket covers your attendance to watch the virtual summit together, the additional activities and networking, as well as breakfast and dinners. If you're traveling into Raleigh from out of town, we're helping organize affordable lodging and Airbnbs with other attendees. So once again, if you want to watch the speakers from anywhere in the world for free, register at femtechnology.org. If you'd like to join me and hundreds of other attendees in person to watch the speakers and have a femtastic adventure, then buy a ticket at femtechfocus.org and plan your trip for Raleigh, North Carolina, June 1st and 2nd. And of course, I want to be very good to our podcast listeners, so use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 20% off your ticket. That's promo code PODCAST at femtechfocus.org for your summit tickets, 20% off. See you there. Alrighty, Fem fans, in today's episode, I interview Madeline Waugh, a social scientist with a focus on reproductive rights in the United States. In this episode, we walk you through the history of abortion in the United States and the present-day situation we find ourselves in. Unfortunately, it feels like most of the world is in total chaos, and so many of us may not realize how close we are in the U.S. to losing our right to abortion. In June, the Supreme Court will review a Mississippi abortion law, and there is a high probability that the court will allow the law to stand. This will cause a domino effect and the elimination of females' right to decide what's best for her and her body. Although this seems very gloom for women's rights today, we still have an opportunity to improve our chances for the future. The opportunity lies in voting, especially in our local elections. I recently met Lisa Mead. She is a woman running for election in my community. If elected, she would be the youngest female county commissioner and only parent of school-aged children. 
In Wake County, North Carolina, where I live, we have a very important local election on May 17th, with early voting beginning April 28th. If you live elsewhere, please make sure to check your Board of Elections to see when your primary election is. Many are occurring in the next month. Local elections can have a huge impact on women's rights and health in your community, so it's important to vote. With that being said, please share this episode with your networks, because female rights may have a huge setback this year, but we must be prepared to fight for the right to choose in the future. Hi, Madeline. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me today. Yes, this is a very important topic. This is, you know, we have a show that's full of fun and jokes and laughing, and I'm sure somehow, some way, we'll figure out how to make some part of this episode lighthearted. But we you know, we're we are not in this business because everything is uh, flowers and rainbows for women, right? We're in this business because women need our support. So it's not uh, too surprising we have a an intense episode, which I am anticipating today. Yeah, this should be intense, but there is always humor. Dark humor helps us get along through bad things. So Yeah, it gets us through it. It gets us through yeah. it, right? Well, let's kick off this episode with a little bit about your background, if you will, just, uh, um, you know, especially about your expertise. I think that would be really helpful for people to kind of set the stage for this conversation. Yeah, all right. Um, so I am a social scientific researcher with a focus in reproductive and sexual health. Um, it's but, uh, mostly in the United States, but also internationally. Uh, my expertise really is on abortion access, um, and I also work for my local abortion fund as well. Um, so I've kind of been the weeds of it for the past five years um, in abortion access in the U.S. Excellent. So that is, uh, you know, what we're talking about is yeah. <laughs> about the rights today. So you are the right person to bring <laughs> us through this. Um, let's start off with this interview, starting with the history of it, right? So let's start sure. from the beginning. What is the history of abortion? And I'm talking like history, like 100 plus years ago. Do we do we have some like archaeological records of abortion in the past? Like, give us some history here. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, abortion has been around as long as people have been having sex and beginning pregnant, people have been having abortions. Um, we know if we look really, really far back in the history, we know there are some places in ancient Rome where they actually um, made a certain herb extinct because it was an abortifacient. And so many women were using it for reproductive health and birth control that that entire herb went extinct in that area. I so people have been using abortion everywhere. Um, in the United States, we can't talk about abortion without talking about race. Um, so largely before the 1900s, before the Civil War, abortion was kind of in a state of illegality. Um, so meaning that it wasn't really under any legal jurisdiction um, for white women. If you were a Black woman or experienced enslavement, then it was illegal for you to have an abortion because it was seen that that fetus was a property of the master. Um, so there's always been racial differences when it comes to abortion care. Um, and then 19, we see, it's interesting because abortion interlocks with so many different things. So, um, after the civil war, um, a lot of doctors went to get into the field of OBGYN and women's health, um, uh, because it was underserved, um, and also, um, seen as a way to help, uh, lucrative, it was seen as lucrative. Um, and at that time, predominantly midwives, um, black midwives mostly, 
and also white midwives were serving women um, outside of the medical establishment. And so two things kind of led to abortion becoming illegal in the United States. The first is this whole shift of doctors wanting to get into the field of women's healthcare. Um, and with that, we saw that the um, Catholic, there was a specific Catholic organization, and I forget their name now, but they worked with um, to help establish the American Medical Association. And with that, they also wanted to start banning abortion. And so for a way to, for doctors to get into OBGYN care and women's health care, they had to also say they didn't agree with abortion. Um, and then secondly, we also saw a demographic shift in the United States. Um, so we were seeing an increase of kind of like considered undesirable populations coming to the United States. So we saw a lot more Irish and Scottish white immigrants coming in. And at that time, they were racialized as non-white. Um, and then more affluent women who were mostly from Nordic um, and England, um, they were using birth control and abortion pretty regularly. So their population numbers were decreasing, which is not what the elite wanted to see happen because they didn't want to see an increase of Irish population over Nordic. Um, so basically from 1880 to 1910, we saw an increase of abortion restrictions all across the United States, um, ending finally in 1910 with a complete banning of abortion in the United States. Wow. 1910, you said? 1910, yeah. Okay. And what were like the form of abortion before 1910, that 100 year, 50 year span of, you know, you said affluent white women, Nordics, UK, they were using abortion and birth control. What were they using? Yeah. Um, so they were using a combination of like herbal abortifacients. So what you could get kind of like on the down low in your area. Um, for example, Queen's Anne Lace was used as a uh, word of fashion really across the globe. Um, it's really common in like the Appalachian region. So that was what a, a common herb was used. But also um, just a kind of a surgical abortion procedure um, that we have today is, take, is taken from what was used perhaps in the 1900s. And this herb, did they eat it? Did they drink it? Did they put it in their vagina? Like what did they do with it? <laughs> Those are actually all different ways that you can um, induce an herbal abortion. So you can have vaginal suppositories, um, you can drink a tea, you can eat it. Um, and there's a lot of information out there. If someone is interested in it, they should definitely make sure they are reading up and doing it carefully um, and never use essential oils as a substitute. Um, just as a FYI, as a public health statement, um, that's not that, that doesn't work. But yeah, basically all of the above were used as abortive fashion methods. How did women in the 1900s even know they were pregnant? They didn't have sticks to pee on, right? So they <laughs> did not. Um, well, they didn't get their period. There wasn't birth control that was stopping um, periods at that time, so that was kind of the big one. Um, and aside from that, it was kind of just knowing when the fetus was starting to develop. Um, they had something called a quickening, which is when normally they would stop performing the abortion. So once the fetus was like really being able to move, um, they called it the quickening. And then that's normally when people would not be performing abortions after that because it'd be unsafe. And you mentioned that um, Black women weren't allowed to have abortion because the fetus was seen as property of the you know, the owner, the slave master person. Um, what about the Catholics? What was their argument? Um, they, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. It's kind of, I have a hard time not thinking about the argument right now. Um, yeah. with like, but it's a, it's the idea of the right to life um, argument. Um, and I think a lot of times it just gets co-opted. Um, if you look at the first testament, there's no, um, they never really say anything bad about abortion. 
Um, they only say things that about masturbation that you shouldn't waste your seed. Um, but there is like a woman who's documented, like kind of like, um, emptying her womb, making her womb hostile. Um, so she kind of like had an abortion. I think she was, um, Sarah, it was one of the early wives in the first Testament. Um, and that God was okay with that, that he wasn't okay with man spilling their seed. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, the argument is not really based in our like religion as much as it is in our political beliefs. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm sure there's lots of other secret hidden agendas. Um, so <laughs> yeah. please continue to reveal them throughout our conversation. Um, what is modern day abortion look like? Like what are the options available? Yeah. Um, so there's two kind of broad categories that you could have. Um, so you could have a medical abortion and that's through the abortion pills of, um, uh, and, uh, misoprostol. And you can have it up to 11 weeks. Um, so there's two pills that you would take. Um, and that's what you're seeing right now with like telehealth abortion care. Um, people are getting those pills mailed to them. Um, it's very safe, but it does only work up until 11 weeks. And then after that is a surgical abortion route. Um, and there's a few different types of surgical abortions you can have. Um, but um, like dilation and extraction is pretty common as, as well as dilation and um, evacuation. Um, and yeah, those are kind of the modern the current like kind of modern western modes of abortion in the united states what's the difference between extraction and uh evacuation evacuation yeah yeah um so it's dna and dnx um and i often get them confused so um evacuation is basically um kind of your more common surgical abortion route um so it's kind of just you kind of just vacuum it out it's to vacuum yeah um and then extraction is what you have to do if you are later term. So if you are further in your gestational age, um, and mostly this is people who find out their fetus has an anomaly, um, is not viable outside the womb. Um, and that would cause, you would have to, it's more surgical. So it's more um, like um, the fetus is already dead and then they have to uh, remove it in parts to get it out of the body. Yeah. Let's talk about that and let's break that down uh, mm -hmm. in terms of viability, her knowing, 11 weeks. Let's start with the very basic, like, what is day one? Is that like the day she has sex? Is it the day the egg is fertilized? What is day one of pregnancy that we start counting from? Um, that's a really good question. Um, so normally when looking at like basically the cost range for getting an abortion um, is based off of the weeks. And we usually base that off of your last menstrual period. Um, so the last day of your menstrual period is normally how it's based off of. Uh, things are getting more exact, size is increasing, um, but that's generally kind of the go-to. Um, as for viability, I actually hate this metric as a way of looking at if we should or shouldn't have abortions, but right now it's about 23 to 24 weeks considered viable. Um, but that's again, quickly changing with medical innovation, which is great in some cases, um, but it lets states have certain arguments that restrict abortion. And so viability, again, totally appreciating. You're like, that's not the argument we're having, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. but see 20, 24 weeks, just for uh, additional context for people to wrap their head around, that's about six months, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. So anything before six months, and I have a friend who has a, a, a preemie who is adorable but a very very sick child and she's now maybe three or four and she still has all these tubes and you know disorders and stuff and I think she was born around potentially six months and um 
it's like right on the brink of, you know, not being able to live. Right. And I think that some people can't wrap their head around, you know, five months, what it would look like versus, you know, so tell us actually 11, 11 weeks. So weeks, Mm -hmm. uh, which is up to the point you can have the uh, pill, right? What at 11 weeks, how big is the feed? Is it even called a fetus at 11 weeks? Like, what is <laughs> it? What, is, it is called a fetus, yes. Is, okay, it is, is still it like a marble size. Is it like, yeah, it's like, like it's very, very tiny. It is like a quarter. Um, it is very small. Um, and yeah, there, you know, we see all the propaganda about having fingernails and things like that. Um, but kind of like what you mentioned with your friend, like having a fingernail doesn't mean that you can necessarily like survive outside of the womb. Um, so yes, um, it is very, very small at 11 weeks. Um, normally when women have like a medical abortion, it feels like a really heavy period. Um, it's not seeing any, you know, looks like a baby pass. Yeah. And, um, mm, oh goodness. What was I going to ask? I have so many questions. Uh, uh, oh, heartbeat. This, so I've been yeah. hearing a lot about this, like, quote unquote, heartbeat bill and like heart. When is the heart made? When is when is they when is the fetus have a heart? And what are they actually referring to when they say heartbeat bill? <laughs> um, I actually I'm not sure on the exact week that the heartbeat would like begin for a fetus, um, but it is. It's an inaccurate term. Um, it's the same as the partial birth abortion ban, um, which is trying to ban dilate, dilation and um, extraction. Um, and the partial birth abortion ban, I don't know if you guys like, have heard about it, but uh, basically a bunch of people went up to Congress, showed these really brutal images of like chopping up babies. Um, and so using the term partial birth makes it seem much more um, like something is alive and like being hurt. And that's the same with the heartbeat bill. Um, it's not really about the heartbeat of the fetus. Um, it's just about using good, good terminology to get people to feel sympathetic. Yeah. Um, what is a typical journey for a woman who gets pregnant? Like what is the earliest she can know? And then when do women usually find out? Because there's the women who are trying to get pregnant and they're taking their tests and they're tracking and they're like, oh my goodness. And they, what is the earliest that woman can know? And then um, what is the typical average, you know, female in the world, sexually active, doesn't realize when does she on average find out she's pregnant? That's a really tricky question, especially now because we have so many different types of contraceptive methods um, that some people can find out really like up to two weeks after their period. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, like it'd be pretty normal for me not to have my period for like a week if I'm stressed out. Um, so, you know, it could take even longer for you, even if you're not on um, any type of hormonal birth control um, to find out if you're pregnant or not. But normally, yeah, if you miss your first, your period for like four weeks, take a birth, um, a pregnancy test, that you can find out if you're pregnant or not. Um, and then for someone who's on anything that affects their menstruation, um, they may not find out for weeks, if not months. Um, sometimes people, you know, their bodies change at different rates when they start to become pregnant. Um, and if you're not getting your period, um, then you might not know. And I've shared this on the show before that I was about probably 15 weeks pregnant when I had my abortion. I was switching birth controls 
And I didn't have my period one month. And I thought, well, I'm switching birth controls. You know, my hormones are all over. And then it was two months and I was like, oh, please, God, no. And I took the test and, you know, and I've shared it before on the show where I was living at home with my mom in college, 21, with a boyfriend who was working at like a grocery store, like totally strapped for resources, like not the right time for me. And, and I, and I don't regret making that decision for myself. Um, what are, you know, and those are some of my reasons, right? Like Mm -hmm. wasn't prepared, like had other career goals, education goals, wasn't sure if the guy who I was with was going to be my forever person. He was like my real first boyfriend. So there was like, there's so many reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. And then on top of all of it, I was on a medication that my psychiatrist, when I told her I was pregnant, she said, oh, this medication is very, very bad for early formation. And you may already have deformities formed. And I, you know, for me, that was kind of almost a weird, bad blessing because it made my decision easier. I was already leaning towards an abortion, mm-hmm. but knowing that the the medicine I was on, you know, keeping me me and my PTSD in track check was, <laughs> could be, you know, I, I definitely wasn't set up for a disabled baby, you know, like, so what are the different reasons that women get an abortion? Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, your story is a really common story or one of the reasons a lot of people have abortions, they're just not in a good spot. It's unplanned. Um, with COVID, we've seen a lot of an increase of people not being financially able to have a baby, um, which goes back to us needing to be like full spectrum reproductive justice um, advocates, where if you can't want a baby, but you can't afford one, then we should figure out a way for you to actually have one. Um, so that's a whole nother thing. But yeah, so a lot of reasons would be uh, being too young and not feeling comfortable, just not wanting a baby, which is totally fine. And you don't have to have any type of like good reason to not want, want to have a baby. Um, we also have examples of domestic abuse and domestic violence, as well as rape and incest are also examples. Um, and um, for our, a lot of our later term abortions, normally people want to have that baby because normally you don't kind of there are a lot of symptoms when you're pregnant and you kind of don't want to be pregnant. If, if you don't want to be pregnant, don't have a baby, you don't want to be pregnant, kind of. Um, so well, like a big issue with advanced related to abortions is that the people that need to get those abortions, often there is something really deeply wrong with the, their fetus or their baby, however you want to call it, um, which is why they would have to get such a late term abortion. I actually was giving a talk a few weeks ago and a woman approached me afterwards and said, you know, terminology is so important and it's so hurtful because she was actively trying to get pregnant. She got pregnant, was deep into the pregnancy, like maybe, I don't know, maybe it was about six months. I'm not sure, but they found out something very, very abnormal and and the feed, it essentially was dead and she had to get an abortion and she was like, and that's what I'm getting you know, and they're like, that's what the procedure is, is taking this, you know, this unviable life out. And she was like, do I have to check box? She, she was talking about the paperwork she had to fill out and the checkbox like abortion. And now she said she's supposed to, because of like pre-existing conditions. Now she's supposed to put on her medical records when she goes to an OBGYN or whatever, Mm -hmm. she has to check off that she's had an abortion. And she's like, I'm pro I'm for abortion. But it was a it was a loss of for me, you know. Yeah, and like um, why, you know, with all of the intense talk about abortion, her identifying as a woman who's had one, who's also trying to get pregnant, and feels like such a 
juxtaposition, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, that she choosing an abortion, she was like, no, it was a medical procedure I had to have. I don't want an abortion. I want a baby, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And our, like, our language, the conversation around it can cause so much more harm for that person yeah. who is dealing with loss. Um, also with financial hardship, different med, um, like insurance won't cover an abortion. So she had to get an abortion for a medical reason. Her insurance may not have covered it. Um, just how, abortion. how much does abortion cost? It varies a lot. So it varies by state, but also by your gestational weeks. So normally we see it being about 400 um, for kind of your, just your medical abortion. And then if you go the surgical route, it starts increasing. Um, it can go all the way up to 8,000 or more. Um, states that are a little bit more pro-choice or pro-abortion, it's cheaper. Um, states that are anti-abortion, it's usually more expensive. Yeah. My, if I recall correctly, mine was about $700. Yeah. Um, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. And that was in New Jersey. It was in New Jersey and it was mm-hmm. 700 and I did have the surgical one cause I was after 11 weeks. So some people say to me, Hey, I agree. You know, you can be, you can have an abortion, but I just don't agree when women use it as birth control. I want to scream when people yeah. say that, because although I'm open about my abortion, I don't have regrets about it. It was a freaking horrible experience. Like it yeah. was not fun. And I, and I can walk, you know, we, I've talked about this previously and I'll, and I'll highlight it a little bit, but like it was uh, walking into a guarded building with people standing outside and there was three locked doors and a security guy. And it felt like it was just this like, um, this, uh, like line of women, like in a process, like a factory Mm -hmm. almost. And that may seem like, oh, that's because this whole thing is a heartless experience. And that's kind of what I thought it felt like. But when I look back, it was like, no, it was because they had one nurse on staff. So you had one admin on staff. They had to have it like a, um, you know, a a factory, you know, because Mm -hmm. they needed a process. This wasn't, Hey, how are you feeling today? It was like, boom, boom, boom. We don't have time. We don't have budget. We don't have the people, right? Um, no, I did not think any woman in that room was there for her weekly abortion, right? No. Like I had no. lots of sex this week and I'm going to have more this weekend. Might as well stop by and get my pill, right? Please, yes. please confirm with me that that is true, <laughs> that women are not using abortion as a contraception. And um, just tell us more about that. That's not what yeah. that is, right? That's not common. Um, I don't want to stigmatize anyone who does use that. That is like up to them and their rights. Um, but my experience as a case manager, I haven't really, I've had a few people who are repeats, but like most people are not using it as a contraceptive. Um, most people, it's like their first time or their second time. Um, it's not a common thing. Um, and also now with plan B and things like that, it's really not necessary to use as a contraceptive. Um, again, not to stigmatize anyone who does want to do that. Um, that's their prerogative. Um, but yeah, it's not common. And as kind of, as you mentioned, like there are so many structural issues within the portion of the United States. Um, so much fear, so much hassle um, that most people wouldn't choose as their first choice, um, especially now. <laughs> yep, yep. And the cost and all of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> how, how many women get abortion? One in three. One in three women. And is that yeah. global? Is that U.S.? One in three in the United States um, is yeah. kind of the estimate right now. Um, I'm not sure what the global number is. It's a hard number to track because of all the stigma. Um, 
Yeah. Why would you report it in a country where it's illegal? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Or in the state. (laughs) Yeah. That's yeah. We're going to get to that. And is there um, an average age of a woman who gets abortion? And by the way, (sighs) I'm saying woman, I mean, female. For listeners, we, you know, if you, maybe this is the first episode you're listening to because you want to educate yourself. Please listen to a few other episodes. We are so pro sex and gender and whatever you want. Um, it's just for, you know, we're trying to get through this complex topic. So I just want to yeah. highlight that you can be a man getting an abortion as well. Absolutely. Any burden person. Um, I'm not sure the average age. Um, I would say probably between the 20s or 30s are people anecdotally I work with most. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot harder for younger people to get abortions because of different types of like parental notification as well. Uh, but yeah, I would say normally some in the twenties and thirties, I see them as often. All right. I feel like we've done a good job of kind of overviewing abortion, what it is, how, why, all that kind of stuff. So let's get into the politics of it. Um, tell us about Roe versus Wade. Like yeah. who is Roe? Who is Wade? What, when was this, what was the argument and what was the actual, like, was there a law made afterwards? Was there like a right made? Like what was, you know, people just say Roe versus Wade, but at the end of the day, I feel like when asked about it, I don't even know like Roe or Wade was or what actually was the final thing. So tell us, give us a history lesson on Roe versus Wade. Of course. And it's very confusing because Roe was in change so much with other Supreme Court cases, but the initial Roe v. Wade passed in 1973, or was heard in 1973. Um, it started with uh, Norma McCarvey. Uh, she would be our um, uh, Jane Roe. And then Wade was Henry Wade, her district attorney. Um, so Roe got pregnant in Texas and decided that she wanted to have an abortion um, and wasn't allowed to have an abortion because it was illegal in Texas unless um, the birthing person or the woman's um, health was at risk. Um, and so they brought it up to, to Texas Supreme Court. They uh, put a case against the DA, which would be um, Wade. Um, the Texas Supreme Court threw it up to the federal Supreme Court. Um, and RBG argued um, for basically the right to privacy or that it was a woman's right to privacy. Um, it wasn't the state's business to know if she was pregnant or not. So it wasn't the state's business to decide if she should have a baby or not. Um, and they argued that on the 14th Amendment um, called the Due Process Clause. Um, I won't get into that because it's just it's a little boring, but basically it just says that you have a right to a certain private process and privacy. Um, and so the court in a seven to two decision, I believe, um, agreed that abortion should be legal in every state in the first trimester, without a doubt. The second trimester could be um, changed depending on the state's uh, own own courts. And then the third trimester um, would only be in the case of the woman's life being at risk or root for incest. Got it. Um, so we yeah. have three trimesters in pregnancy, yeah. right? So the first yeah. one is how many weeks from fertilization till? Uh, I think it's 18 weeks, I believe. Yeah. So it's nine divided by three, right? So yeah. Three, three, three. All right. So yeah, exactly. Give or take it's the 13th off. week. Yeah. 13th week. Okay. It's the first trimester. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So, I mean, we can look at like SB8 in Texas is clearly a violation of that. Um, but it's not being brought up to the Supreme Court again at this moment. 
Uh, all right. So Roe versus Wade says if you're up <laughs> 13 weeks pregnant, first trimester, that's your own business. The state can't tell you what to do or know about it or whatever. It's up to mm-hmm. you. Now, yeah. I still feel like though, even up to 13 weeks, we still find all of these like states with one abortion clinic. Are they like mm-hmm. in line with that law that up to 13 weeks a state can't know? Or <laughs> so it has to do, so there was another case that was brought up, um, which was um it was um Planned Parenthood of Southeast Pennsylvania versus Casey in 1992, I believe. Um, basically, that was kind of the undue burden clause. Um, so uh, Planned Parenthood said that they were like getting, there was too much uh, legislation against their clinic in Pennsylvania, went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court decided that as long as there was no undue burden on the woman, then you could add more restrictions, um, which was kind of the end. It's kind of what we see now as happened to abortion in the United States, where everything is so different. Um, so that allowed for the trap laws to come in. And trap laws are targeted regulations of abortion providers. Um, and so that's why you see maybe only one or two clinics in the state is because the trap laws targeted these clinics. Um, we know that clinics are often freestanding clinics are often under-resourced, under-financed, understaffed. And so making just their existence harder will then make them close down and you don't even have to argue about abortion. Um, and so as long as the state decides there's no undue burden on the woman, or the birthing person, then uh, they can go ahead and put these extra laws in. What is undue burden? Like, what is <laughs> that, that is a good question. That's what a lot of legal scholars have argued. Um, it is not well defined, and because it is so ambiguous, it makes it really easy to um, decide what undue burden is for someone else. Um, and often, it is in favor of someone who is anti-choice rather than someone who is pro-choice. Um, so you can say, as long as there's a clinic in your state, that's not a big burden for you. You can go there. Oh, a waiting period. That's not too bad. Don't worry about it. Um, so yeah, it's purposely ambiguous. Um, what are some of the, you know, I don't know if they're laws or policies that states are making that are limiting it to one, two clinics in an entire state. What are some of the things that you said that if you, you know, you strain the system long enough, like people can't do it. So what are, what kind of restraints are they putting on the system? Um, a really good example would be the mandated waiting periods. So certain states have mandated counseling and waiting periods where you have to get counseled first, and then you have to wait 24 to 48 hours before you can actually get the procedure. Um, and this is a big issue if, imagine you're traveling five hours to get to the clinic, um, and you're a shift worker. Maybe you work at like Forever 21, so you've got to take a day off work, you've got to pay for the gas, go there, and they to come back, you've got to wait, take off more work, and then pay for the gas again. Um, so it's a huge burden on people who are living in poverty or living in lower socioeconomic status. And we know that intersects often with race and ethnicity. Um, so that's a really big one, a real big issue. Another one would be the parental notification laws, um, that if you're under 18, you have to have the parents have to be notified or you have to pursue a judicial bypass. Um, and that, I don't know if you can just imagine, like maybe you're a 15 year old, you find you're pregnant and you're trying, you don't want your family to know about it. Now you have to navigate this whole judicial system. You have to go to a judge and ask for an abortion. I mean, it's already stigmatized. You probably are be scared. It's just, it's so much that it makes them also have to have much more later term abortions to go through all of that. Well, it sounds like, um, 
in the 80s was a I was born in 91. So in the 80s was access to abortion like not too bad and like after 92 is when it got really scarce. Was there a time when U.S. was like decent with this or? So right after Roe v. Wade, um, abortion access was, was definitely easier to get. Um, the Hyde Agreement did pass in 1976, so only three years after Roe v. Wade. Um, and then we had the global black gag rule happen shortly after. Um, so abortion for people lower, living in a lower economic status, it was always more difficult for them because Medicaid was barred for them to pay for their abortion. Um, but really, we saw a huge increase of difficulty in receiving abortions in the 90s. Um, and it just has gotten worse since then. And that is one of the reasons we're having this episode today. Yeah. We are currently in a shitstorm. We um, are. We sure so are. Yes. I, I believe it kicked off with the Texas law. Tell me if that's incorrect, but walk us through what, what phase are we in right now? What, what's happening? Okay. So it's actually not the Texas law that has in danger of overturning Roe v. Wade. So the Texas law is terrible. Um, it's been purposely not brought up for like official oral arguments to the Supreme Court because we kind of know that they would just they would definitely overturn it uh, because it's worded so well. Um, it's worded in a way that it just actually went up to the Texas Supreme Court again, I believe either last week or this week. Um, and they up, upheld it because they said that it wasn't a state agency enforcing anything, it was a matter of civil, like um, civil lawsuits. Um, so it wasn't really their their job to man, to um, monitor it. And in the six-week aspect that it is definitely a violation of Ruby Wade, but if we brought up the Supreme Court, it'd be a perfect opportunity to strike down Ruby Wade. Um, the current uh, argument right now that is in danger of um, taking down Ruby Wade is Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, um, which is in Mississippi. And so Mississippi implemented a 15-week ban, um, and it was heard in December. I don't know if you guys... And if you want to listen to it, but um, you can still hear the oral arguments in December uh, that happened in December. And the Mississippi ban is asking to overturn Roe v. Wade completely. Um, it doesn't look great. Um, Amy Coleman Barrett, for example, she said that she doesn't understand why we basically need abortion because we have um, the safe haven, safe surrender laws. Um, so what is that? Uh, what is safe, that means, safe surrender law? means that you can drop off a baby at like a fire station or a police station or a hospital without having any legal, um, without getting in trouble, basically. Um, so her argument is like, well, now you don't have to raise a kid. You're not being forced into parenthood. Um, so it should be fine without really thinking about the fact that pregnancy is itself a burden. Um, and there's no other reason in the United, like there's no other case in the United States where we have to keep a living thing alive. Um, if that was a case, then we would have mandated organ donations and blood donations. So we don't have to use our like our literal biological matter to keep another thing alive. Um, so in my mind, it's just an equity argument. Um, so yeah, so either, so we'll hear about the Dobbs versus Jackson in June or July, they'll get their um, answer and either it'll overturn Roe v. Wade or effectively overturn it. Um, due to viability arguments. So it doesn't really look great. Um, when you for, say viability okay. arguments, what do you mean viability arguments? It goes back to the idea of like when something is viable. Um, so they'll start arguing that things that the fetus is viable earlier and earlier and earlier um, and argue what viability really means. Uh, and so as technology has increased, which is great, um, if you have a premature baby and 
that's your baby and you want them to live, then we love the fact that we can keep babies alive for as much longer. But at the same time, it can make you make an argument for viability at having much earlier. But if we know that a baby can't survive outside the womb after before six months, like how can they overturn it for like even a three week abortion or something, you know, like how can they make that argument? Yeah. I mean, it's a good, it's a good question. I'd be interested to see what they do. Uh, like we have like artificial wounds now, so it is going to be like before six months, I might, is my guess. Um, but it is just kind of like the final nail in the coffin almost, um, with their viability arguments, which are not really grounded in all that much fact. Um, is but, this the heartbeat bill? Is that what this is? That's the bill, the Mississippi one, or is that something else? The heartbeat bill. Um, yeah, that is the Mississippi bill. Yes, that's a heartbeat bill. Dang. And yeah. um, so, see, this is so interesting. It's why we have to have these conversations because I thought it was the Texas law going to Supreme Court, but you, it's actually the Mississippi law going to. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's the one that was heard. The Texas law did go up to the Supreme Court um, earlier when it first got passed. Yeah. But not to be heard to make a decision, but because they had like an emergency court hearing because they said it was so unethical. And the federal Supreme Court threw it back down to Texas and they're like, this is not our jurisdiction. You guys have to figure it out. Um, and yeah. And now it's been around for like six months. <laughs> wow. All right. And so, um, you know, the consequence right now in Texas is that, after, wh well, what is the consequence in Texas? And like also, this Mississippi one, what is, when was that one issued? I guess let's start with Texas. So what's happening in Texas okay. now? <laughs> so know. Texas, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of, it's like a good tactic that a lot of anti-choice people do is they throw basically everything out the wall and yeah. so it sticks and they're like, great. And everyone feels overwhelmed. Um, so it's a good tactic they use is effective. Um, so with the Texas bill, SBA um, came around in 2021 in December, I believe. It's a six week ban. Um, so they ban, um, yeah, and yeah, six weeks ban. So they ban all abortions after six weeks. Most people don't know that they're pregnant at six oh, weeks. I, I wouldn't know. Yeah, no. yeah exactly. Um, it's a very common amount of time to not have a period. Um, so yeah, six week ban. And then they also kind of their genius is that they also included that private citizens can sue abortion providers and anyone helping someone get an abortion after the six weeks, um, up to $10,000. Um, and this is like the kind of the genius of their law is that one, the Supreme Court doesn't really know what to do with it um, because it's not anything about institutions, it's about private citizens making decisions. Um, so that's one thing. And then also we know that abortion providers are underfunded. So if we hit them with five lawsuits, that's 50 grand, they might have to pay up. Um, and that would could potentially put that clinic out of business. Um, and it would also it just helps incur fear around abortion and helping people. And I think that's kind of one of the biggest issues. Um, and now we see lots of states trying to emulate that law. And, and for those who don't know, like you need somebody to drive you to and from your medical abortion, if you're mm -hmm. doing the surgical one. So you're, you have other quote unquote accomplices as Texas is probably framing it. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. What is uh why would a citizen sue a, a person getting an abortion for $10,000? Does that $10,000 go to that individual who's suing them? And like my understanding of like lawsuits and for financial gain is like, <laughs> like I got hurt. And so this money is going to cover my medical bills or I've been 
emotionally disturbed so much by this experience, this money is going to go towards my rehabilitation or mm -hmm. fixing my window that you broke or whatever. How, what is this money intended like to do for the person suing this individual getting an abortion? I mean, it's a bounty. Um, it's a bounty. bounty. It's a bounty. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be anything between like, maybe I don't like my neighbor. Maybe their dog shits my lawn and I know that they just drove their friend to get an abortion. Maybe I'll sue them because I just don't like that. Um, yeah, it is purely a bounty. That's Has it. anyone sued yet? People have. Um, I actually have not been following it close enough to know like the numbers of how many people have been sued or how well it's working. Um, but I think just instilling the fear is doing a really good job and kind of giving other states ideas of what to do to help instill fear um, and see kind of how far they can push oh. to push the bounty. So even if the Mississippi law that's being argued in June and the Supreme Court deciding whether or not Roe versus Wade can stick around, regardless of that, this civil lawsuit one is also still like functioning and like working, yeah. right? And it yeah. essentially circumvents the Supreme Court law, even if we do get a miracle and they keep it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So then there'll be a question if like the ACLU basically brings it up to the Supreme Court, the federal Supreme Court, the, uh, the Texas law. Um, there's just a lot of fear in doing that because, again, that just leaves Roe really open to be completely overturned because um, it's definitely a violation of Roe v. Wade. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's a catch-22. I'm not sure what will happen. Uh, so what can we do right now? Can I do anything? Yeah. Can our listeners yeah. do anything? What can we Absolutely. do? Absolutely. There are lots of things you can do. So I would first say, if you're able to donate money, donate money to your local abortion fund and practical support fund. The abortion funds normally pay for the abortion procedure and practical support pays for anything going into it. So like transportation costs, childcare costs. Um, and they also help, like they'll, they have people in the organization who will go with you to the clinic. Um, depending on COVID restrictions. Um, so definitely uh, donating money is a huge help. Um, and as we see, people are going to be traveling more and more to get their abortion. Um, and I mean, just in like the organization I work in, we've seen a huge increase over the past, between COVID and now this, it has just been increasing exponentially about how many clients we're serving. Um, so definitely recommend if you can donate anything, anything helps. Um, there's definitely a fund in your state um, so donate to one in your state. Um, if you have the time and you're comfortable, then volunteering for an abortion fund or practical support fund would be huge as well. They're almost exclusively all volunteer run. Um, no one's getting paid. Um, so we really just need more volunteers as we see this increase of clients. Uh, it's just, it is overwhelming needs across states. So as many, much hands as possible to help. Um, and then in terms of any type of policies that we can do, uh, campaigning for your state to enshrine abortion as being legal within your state it will be really helpful. So I believe we only have 15 states that have abortion protected in the case of Roe v. Wade being overturned. So that leaves all the other states don't really they know neither know what's going to happen, which is they're going to say abortion is illegal, or we just don't know what's going to happen. Um, so if you're in one of the states that is unsure, and that's all posted on the Metro Institute's website, so you can find that information. Um, campaign for your state to enshrine abortion as legal. Because uh, we know that once a Roe v. Wade is overturned, it's going to be like an in-between area. And a lot of our medical providers may not feel comfortable performing abortions until they know exactly where they should be legally. 
Um, and then finally, just have conversations with those around you. Um, try to talk about what abortion is. Um, like kind of how you framed the beginning of our episode is like, we want to make sure that people really understand what's happening um, and understand this is a human rights issue um, and this is a healthcare issue and equity issue. Um, so yeah, donate money, donate time and talk to people is what I would say. And I mean, we, you know, it's kind of relatively easy to think of the basic consequences of having an unintended baby uh, for a woman Right. But I feel like, unfortunately, we live in a world where burden on women isn't necessarily something other people care about. You know, yeah. like a lot of our healthcare is not optimized. And so and no one's doing anything about it. So it's like uh, our discomfort doesn't motivate most people, unfortunately. Yeah. So um, what are other negative consequences of unintended births? Like, is there economic burden on the states like are they idiots like i feel like yeah, they they are we can get people behind like saying no this is crazy it affects me too whether or not i have uterus so what are the other yeah. consequences um i would i would go with probably the economy so like most of the states we know that are super hostile towards abortion are also ones where you have a lot of the population on type of like state aid um, a lot of the population of children on AIDS, like food stamps, Medicaid and Medicare. Um, and we know that if you are not prepared to have a baby, your finances are going to decrease. So you're going to have to rely more on state aid. So it's really bad for the economy um, to make people have babies when they don't want to have babies. Um, it also affects the workforce. And then we also know that people are going to continue to have abortions no matter what. Um, so we'll continue to inundate an already overstressed and under-resourced healthcare system. After COVID, they're projecting lots of more doctors and nurses quitting because they're tired, they're burnt out. It makes sense. I totally understand. Um, but we're going to see more women needing medical assistance because of botched abortions. Um, so it's really just bad for everyone. Um, and finally, I would also argue that just when they ban abortion, in a lot of ways, miscarriage is also being banned. Um, so the more extreme cases are going to, more extreme states, it'll be interesting to decide how they decide who's had an abortion is not the hospital and who's having a spontaneous miscarriage in the hospital. Um, my guess is that it will not be equally across races. Um, we've already seen women imprisoned for miscarriages of like reckless endangerment of a minor. Um, so if you're not from the uterus, but you love someone with the uterus who's pregnant and they have a miscarriage, they might actually face legal consequences, um, and some really bad states. Um, that because sometimes the miscarriage is only like partial. And so therefore you need the procedure to kind of finish that. And also if they are having a miscarriage, they go to the hospital. There's no way they can prove that it's a miscarriage and not an indication. Um, so I don't know how they're going to parse that out. Um, I just know it won't be equitable. <laughs> I feel like, um, based on my experience, where I am in the world, who I am, what I've learned and seen, I feel like the underlying evil, if I may, under all of this is like controlling women. Cause if we continue to be pregnant and birthing and mothering and whatever, we can't rise in the ranks. Right. Um, and that's my impression. Is that what, you know, you and your colleagues think like what the underlying goal here, is it to su suppress women or, or like, is there, I don't know what it, yeah, I think it is all about control. Um, that's it. And not necessarily a rising the ranks because ideally we could have 
mothers rise in the ranks. Like we, I hope we can get there, but it is all about control. Like I said before, if it was truly about like preserving the life of things in our society, we would be like, there, no one would be on a kidney like wait list. We'd be donating our kidneys. We'd have to donate our kidneys. Um, so it's only about control. And in some ways, punishment, punishment for being poor, for being black, being brown, for having sex when you weren't supposed to have sex, um, for saying no, um, just punishing people for having uteruses and opinions. Wow. This has been um, so insightful, impactful, scary, enlightening. Um, what do you, what should our listeners do next? So they're going to support their local funds. They're going to volunteer if they can. They're going to talk to their friends and colleagues, listeners. I have, I've had authentic conversations with heterosexual men who are genuinely curious, but we're too, have been too afraid to ask, you know, and as if you can be approachable and say, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm more than happy to tell you about my experience with abortion or to walk you through what that looks like. Because my experience has been many of these men literally just hear from the loudest voices. And so they think women are just getting abortions every Friday, or they think, Oh, well, why do women wait till eight months pregnant? And it's like, what? So you, who are you? So listeners, please go out, talk about abortion, <laughs> tell them about what's real, what isn't real. And, um, what, what would you say our listeners, how else can they stay tuned up? Like what else in terms of current events with this, like where yeah. else should they tune in? Oof. Uh, well, they should definitely tune into the um, decision by the Supreme Court in June or July um, along the lines of being an advocate. Yeah, if you're in a point of privilege, please stand up and advocate and talk. Um, if you can get other male voices to join the conversation, that would be so helpful. People know that they're, like science knows that you're more likely to respond to someone who looks like you in a positive manner than someone who doesn't. So if we can get more men, hetero men, um, white men engaged in the conversation, religious men, religious leaders. Um, if we can get them more engaged in the conversation and the human rights part of the conversation, um, then hopefully that would kind of change the way things are going. We know that most people in America think people should have, be able to have an abortion. Um, most people don't think Roe v. should be returned. Um, in terms of other things to follow, I would say follow your state legislature really closely. Check what's in your state, what rules are in your state, what rules are up, um, what laws are up in your docket to see what's coming up um, and then decide if you agree with that law or not and then get active if you don't agree with it. Uh, and also active if you do agree with it. Your lawmakers need to hear that you support them when they're doing something that you really like. Um, that's how advocacy works. They'll keep on fighting for you more and more if you tell them, like, thank you for fighting for me. Uh, so remember that they're serving you. You're not serving them. Because there are, like you said, 15 states that have passed legislation that says even if Roe versus Wade is overturned, in this state, you can have an abortion, access to abortion. Yeah. Um, I think either Oregon or Washington just signed that into law, too. Do you remember? Washington did. Washington. Yeah, they just did, like, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it does um, happen. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, they also said that they couldn't extract, um, extradite any physicians who are providing abortions to people out of state. Because I believe Missouri is trying to make it illegal for someone, a Missouri resident, to get an abortion in a different state. Um, and then that provider could be sued or um, like extradited back to Missouri. Um, so there's a lot of ramifications, but also about like the unity of the United States and some in worst case scenarios um, between the states. 
Yes. So if you're feeling defeated, there is actually some hope here. There is lots of hope. <laughs> yes. Got to continue to get in gear. Thank you so much for your time today, Madeline. You are. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my interview with Madeline Waugh, a social scientist with a focus on reproductive rights in the United States. Remember that the best way to stand up for women's rights is to be voting, and especially in your local elections. Local elections are around the country happening this month, so be sure to check out when voting starts in your area. The people who are elected may have a massive impact on women's health in your community. Alrighty, Fem fans, be sure to give the show a five-star review and share it with a friend. Join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org and join the thousands of other Femtech founders, investors, and mentors advising and advancing women's health. While in the virtual community, sign up for a FemPro membership, only $15 a month, and get access to assets like our Femtech company database and a self-guided Femtech accelerator. Keep an eye out for our monthly Femtech Book Club, which happens the last Wednesday of every month, and subscribe to our newsletter. Last but not least, please consider setting up a recurring donation to Femtech Focus. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness. <laughs>